Hey, hi, um, welcome to Praise Dionysus. Praise him. Uh, it is just me. I'm Jake. I'm, I'm the only one here, uh, because James, he went on a scuba diving trip, um, and I'm pretty sure what happened is they miscounted when people were getting back on the boat, and the boat came back without him, and I think he's out there just open watering, um, but best of luck to him, uh, <laughs> but he'll be back soon. This is the next episode of The Midsummery. Um, so yeah, welcome back. It's really nice to have you here. Thank you for spending time with me here. That's really kind of you. Um, so yeah, I'll be talking about two shows with you right now. So the first one is called To Die Will Be an Awfully Big Adventure by The Midnight Hours, Desperate Measure and Theatre Works. And the second show is called Alter by M. Tambry at the Abbotsford Convent. Uh, yeah, so yeah, please stick around if you if you can stomach the notion of being with me for that long. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the do the theme music now. Hey, uh, hi, yeah, still me, hi, thanks for being here, sorry, sweet listener, I feel like every time we have these, like, solo episodes together, um, I feel like I always start them off super duper self-loathing, so I'm sorry, (laughs) I don't mean to, you know, I don't know, um, make you feel the way that you're made to feel when someone hates themselves out loud in front of you, uh, but yeah, no, I hope your midsummer's going well, if it's, like, a thing that you're doing in real time with us, I hope it's really great and that you're seeing really exciting stuff, or, or that you're, like, doing a thing, I hope it's going really well. Um, Jake, don't be lame. Um, yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll jog quickly through my, my, how was my last couple of days thing and we can get to the nitty gritty of stuff because, um, because this first show that I'm about to talk about, like I literally got home from seeing it like 10 minutes ago. Like, I think it's going to break the record for like the fastest turnaround in terms of, you know, the curtain going down and then the record button getting hit. So, so that's cool. Um, but yeah, yeah. And it was also a very like... As you'll, I don't know, you'll you'll come to hear, uh, it was yeah a, a unique time, like a time that I'm, I don't know the, the like I don't know the the quickness with which I left the theater and, and came to the microphone was not because of the effect the show had on me. It's it's just because we have to hit particular podcast deadlines, and that's also part of why James is not here. His absence is just because of um, stuff in his life piling up, and he's got to, you know he's got to take care of his brain and his energy and his health, and he's got a lot you know he's got work going on and other junk. So yeah, yeah. So as far as I know, he is not lost at sea. Um, but yeah, but yeah, the, the the first show I'll be talking about I just saw. So, um, and yeah, I've got some stuff to like unpack largely in real time, I guess. You know, there's only so much that you can digest in the theater and, you know, on the walk home. So, um, so I guess you're going to help me out with that. <laughs> um, otherwise, yeah, so like the last couple of days, I suppose a high point, um, my, my really good friend Wheeler had his, like his birthday happened. And yeah, it just, it was just a sweet time. I enjoyed it. It was nice, especially because like the bulk of my participation in it, because I had to come late to it because, um, yeah, he was having like a whiny night with chums at some places, you know, in the North. And I had to get there late because of a bunch of midsummer shows I had to see, um, which is of course a blessing. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so by the time I'd gotten there, it had, you know, withered down to, you know, um, a really like beautiful, tiny, concentrated collection of people that I adore. So that was like fortunate and lovely. And yeah, just wound up being such a, such a sweet sort of like laughy, goofy, sweet time. So, um, yeah, grateful for that. It's yeah, it's nice to have those nights. Um, but yeah, so I guess I, (laughs) yeah, I'll give my experience of that 21 stars out of five. Um, because that's the age that Wheeler spent the night pretending to be turning. So, uh, yeah. Let's let's keep on skating and let's let's dive into into Peter Pan. <laughs> um, yeah, let's do this right now. <laughs> so I went to Theatreworks in St Kilda to see "To Die Will Be an Awfully Big Adventure," uh, which is a quote from Peter Pan. Is my understanding? I, <laughs> um, I will not do further research on that. That that's my understanding of it. I went by myself. I was meant to be going with a pal, but he cancelled real late in the game due to unwellness, um, which is, of course, fine. I wish him no ill will. Um, the <laughs> but it's just that the... Because, you know, you, sweet, sweet listener, you know that I'm I, I'm used to going to, th- like, the theatre by myself. It's a fine experience. It does not dampen things at all. 
It just happened to be the case. Unfortunately for my pal who abandoned me, it just happened to be the case that this is one of those unique times where having a person next to me really would have helped <laughs> for a number of reasons that I think will reveal themselves as I continue along this this JM JM Barry inspired adventure. I uh, so yeah, so strap in. So arrived at TheatreWorks, went inside, <laughs> sat reading my book in the foyer. The doors eventually opened, and I went inside. And I, you know, entered very enthusiastically. I don't know where that spring in my step was coming from. I think I was just ready, you know, to be lost. You know, I was just seeking some escapism somewhere subconsciously. So yeah, the doors to the theater opened. I went inside, and I went to sit in the front row, like on the like far end of things. Uh, just so that I, I wouldn't be in anybody's way and also wouldn't be like, you know, <laughs> sitting in the middle at the front, like a pharaoh demanding the jesters entertain him. It just, I don't know, in the theatre workspace, I feel like that has that energy sometimes. Um, you know, that bolder seating choice. But, uh, yeah, a stage manager, I believe, somebody connected to the production was coming around and handing out earplugs, um, and suggested wearing them during any of, like, the loud song sequences, uh, which was, you know, cool and caring and begs the question in my mind of like, why don't they just make the music less loud? But I'm no coward, <laughs> which again, that my, I don't know, the, the way that this ride unfolds, maybe, maybe that's false. Maybe I, I, I might be a coward, uh, but yet took my earplugs after working at the forum for so long, I'm accustomed to having to use them, which is just like a fun little <laughs> piece of Jake history for you. Um, you're welcome to immediately dump that fact from your head. But yeah, I'm no stranger to an earplug. Uh, yeah, sorry for impressing you so hard. Uh, but yeah, then the, so sitting there, um, I was gonna keep reading uh, while I waited for the show to begin, but it was like a, it was immediately quite like a, I'm not going to say visual feast, but now I have just in terms of like, there was just a bunch of like you, I don't know, maybe you're quite familiar. I, I don't know, like with the theater workspace, but it's like so big, so tall, big old seating bank. And just like a, like a real big, tall rectangle of a space to just fill up with whatever it is that you're doing as an artist. So, uh, yeah, super exciting space that I love so much, but it was like really like full of cool stuff to look at. Um, yeah, the, at the very back against the big, like the big tall black, like the, the back wall, uh, it was kind of like a cross section almost of like, I guess the most, I don't know, quickest way to describe it is kind of like a, like a tall albino jumping castle. You just sort of like, if you cross section that baby off and you just kind of have like the rear wall and like half of the side walls pointing at you, that's, that's kind of standing tall at the back. Um, and the playing space in the center is kind of like a big white painted rectangle as well because I guess you know if, legally if you're going to do like <laughs> aggressive confronting postmodern theater it has to take place on a big white rectangle <laughs> that's that's the law I'm not in charge of that and then around that space as well was like an LCD screen and like a skeleton and a chair and a skateboard and there was a skateboard ramp kind of like in the middle as we waited for the show to start there was like a big old timey kind of looked like where like a lifeguard sits next to a pool, which is one of my favorite pieces of furniture, whatever they're called, those tall like lifeguard tennis umpire chairs. There was like, I, I think it was that. It looked a lot like that. The seat part just had a little bit, like a bit more elaborate desk to it. Um, But yeah, I don't know, any, I don't know, any old timey carpenters out there, let me know. Um, But yeah, but that's how it looked. And it was <laughs> lovely, not just because it was like a bunch to look at, uh, but also because I also just like enjoy... <laughs> I like I like the, the, when theater feels exposed like that when it, when it's it, it just like I don't know, a, a lot of things just like thrown on the table um because to me, it's like one of the things it reads as and kind of promises of a show to come can be the sense of like, oh, this will be playful. this will be like a ramshackle kind of like fun time um that isn't you know that doesn't ascribe to the values connected to like the idea of theatrical polish like I've yeah I'm not going to bore you with a tirade about how dull I find polish to be but but yeah an aesthetic like that is you know the in terms of at least like visual construction and the semiotics of that kind of design is yeah the opposite and therefore I love it as much as I hate polish so uh, <laughs> um that's that but <laughs> but then I don't know this this show did not unfold in a like a like a like a sweet ramshackle higgledy piggledy kind of way. It was quite the opposite, and that became kind of like obvious even before the show began. Um, because even and this too, in the direction of like the unpolishedness energy, like a couple of the actors were like foggling around and like walking amongst the set and kind of like observing the audience as they came in in a very you know not in like an engaged way, but just in like a present way that 
you know, of course, that breakage of there being a sense of, like, it didn't feel quite like a preset, but like that breakage of the, we are backstage before the show and now the show is on and now we're on the stage. That being gone was like, oh, this is sweet. But there was like a, like, <laughs> even the air of their presence on the stage wasn't like a warm one. It, it, it had a, it had a little tinge of like, not even hostility. I think, <laughs> sorry, I, um, all of, all this is to say is that the, uh, the parts of the show felt a bit like an attack. Um, and, uh, these, these aren't judgmental terms. This is me just relaying my experience to you. And that will be the pattern that you see emerging. Uh, and so, uh, very early on in the game, it's like it, this sense that, this sense that them having all of these like weird props and these strange set confabulations around um, and ready to be played with took on a much more menacing energy the moment that it became obvious that this show was going to be a bit more of like a, a violent undertaking. Um, and so, yeah, it went from being that kind of like playful, who knows what's going to happen kind of thing to more of a, do you know who the toy box killer is? <laughs> it's like, I Google it if you want to. There are some really good, like, almost homemade feeling documentaries about the toy box killer. Um, I, I don't like saying things like I have favorite murderers and stuff. That's very dark. And I you, you, quack quack shouldn't say things like that. But look, if you, I don't know, forced me to choose one that I find most intriguing in terms of the story and the mechanics of the tale. Uh, yeah. That's the thing that I would bring up in that, you know, whispered conversation we'd be having. Uh, but, but yes, that all that is to say, it's like, I guess without forcing you to do any research to understand this, this shift, um, is like, instead of now perceiving all of these, the, all of this like beautiful theater junk that populated the space as like chances for fun, <laughs> they began feeling like, you know, when you like wake up in like a super villain's like like lair and you're like strapped down and then someone in a mask walks in and then pulls back like a white sheet off a table and you see all of their scary surgical supplies like it was it became more of that feeling a little bit um so that's 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 that in terms of time uh the show started all i sort of went into it knowing was i was pretty sure it had something to do with peter pan uh that's and that's truly it. Um, the show has six people in it. Um, one of whom is Kareth Manderson Galvin, who you may remember. Like, remember when I went to see this, that that show with all of that like sudden notoriety when it happened a few months ago, um, and I went into it being told to expect the worst um, with my little backpack and my Hawaiian tear and share. Um, yeah, they were in that. <laughs> if that means anything to you. Um, but beyond that, I, 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 I recognized some of the faces, but I couldn't tell you where they came from, but it was six of them. Uh, and the show began and it was like, from the get go, they did that thing. And it was, (laughs) sorry if I'm referencing things that you do not recall us having spoken about on this podcast, or if this is your first visit, maybe all of this will mean nothing. But remember when in the exact same space, I saw Caligula and I think it was the first time that James and I talked about the phenomenon that renders me useless. The thing of like, if like, especially I'd say, (laughs) let's say distinctly, if like the first scene of your show is going to be a bunch of people saying lines assigned to at that point, seemingly nobody specific, I'm not going to be able to take in any of the stuff you say. I, (laughs) my feet are not on the ground yet. I don't know what the world is. I am not able to just listen to all of these brand new mouths saying words that I'm unable to like pin on a board yet. I, yeah, I just, so it sort of started like that. And it was like into microphones. It was very like the feeling of like grungy. We're going to shout at you postmodern theater. Like it, it seemed like as if they were, I think what they were doing was kind of giving glimpses of their understanding of the story of Peter Pan. And it was also mangled up with other just kind of like jagged anecdotes that vaguely connected to it. Or it was like verbatimly reproduced conversations that they had had during the development process of the work. These are all stabs in the dark that I'm taking. Quack, quack. So sorry for all the stabbing, but uh, that, that's how it began. So of course that kind of flummoxed me a bit. Uh, it, the, the show then moves forward and then the songs start happening. And it's like, I do, I'm not good at music genres. It's either, it's either pop or it's country or it's like indie folk. Like, so I, I don't have many like words for these things, but I guess it was like, like aggressive, like punk rock. 
I think, but like not in like the fun way, like not in the, not like the Rex or like, not like, certainly not like early Avril Lavigne and not with like the glam rock edge of like the struts or something. Is this helping me telling you all the things that it's not and doesn't sound like? <laughs> um, but the sort that's like supposed to frighten you. <laughs> well, it certainly frightens me. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I was trying to think of like an example in pop culture, but it's like, I don't know. Am I too gay? I feel like all I'm coming to is <laughs> Repo the Genetic Opera, but I think something with Paris Hilton in it isn't going to be the reference that I need to clarify things. That song, I Wanna Fuck You Like an Animal, that I don't know why I know it. I feel like I came across it um, at drama school, <laughs> likely during some sort of devised performance. I... <laughs> I'm too gay for this. How do I find an example? I think it's like the sort of music that you would be terrified if you found out your son was listening to it, like your high school aged son. Like I think the sort of music that people blame like Columbine for. Um, yeah, not the sort of thing that I, like I, it's the sort of music that I would listen to. Like, and I have recently been listening to while at the gym. Like I find lately I've just found some like, uh, like really angry, somewhat theatrical music um, to run to. Another tedious chunk of fact about Jake. Uh, so yeah, so yeah. But outside of running aggressively at the gym, I, I don't know if I'd sit down and listen to these songs again. But they certainly conveyed a level of like uh, rage <laughs> um, and ferociousness to them. Um, uh, yeah, the whole show was like very intimidating. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm trying not to sound again. I don't want to sound like a coward. Um, uh, oh, something that I have not said yet. Yeah, so I sat in the front row and then it was a long time until anybody joined me in the front row. Like to the point where it's like, so I was sitting there because I got in there so quickly. I was sitting there for like 10 minutes-ish waiting for anybody to join me. And there was like 40 to, uh, like 40 to 55 people that ended up coming into the theater. And it took until like the final moments of people sitting down for anyone to join me in the front row. And it's like, I don't know if they knew things that I didn't know about what this show was going to be, but like, I should have taken some sort of hint from this, like this crowd, because it seems like they must've known stuff. Because I think it was that thing where it's like, you know, when you're like standing there waiting for a train and it's like a moderately crowded train, but then in front of you pulls up like the one super empty carriage and like the dumb clueless, like, I'm from the country part of your brain is like, oh, I, I, I'm just lucky, I guess. Um, but no, it's like, no, like the street smart part of your brain is like, no, there is like a pool of blood in there. There is like someone whispering weird threats to themselves while like holding a knife. Yeah, and you get on one of the more crowded carriages, you know? Uh, but yeah, no, but Jake didn't listen to those instincts. He was just like a, a goddamn yokel about it. And yeah, I just stayed in the front row um, thinking that I was ready for what was to come, like a naive little numbat. <laughs> um, so uh, let's get to the part where <laughs> the experience that I was going to have inside of my body really began like becoming evident to me. Uh, <laughs> so one of the songs started happening and then one of the performers attempted to try to like, they tried to instigate a dance floor at the front of the performance space, like at the, like the bottom of this, like, like, I don't need to be more specific than that. You can picture that. Just like, <laughs> there's a, like a raked seating bank with people in it. There's a flat performance space in front and they wanted to create like a mosh pit of people dancing to the songs. Uh, and I was like the second person that they attempted to lure into this undertaking. Um, because I was one of the few very accessible people, I suppose. I don't think there's anything on my face suggesting that I was, like, in the mood to boogie. Uh, but no. So I had to go through the experience of the person trying with, like, you know, <laughs> in a way that was fine of being, like, taking my hand and wanting to pull me into this social endeavor. Um, but I said no in a way that I hope came across polite enough. Uh, and yeah, so managed to, you know, not have that happen to me. And then the three people that did get harvested managed to have a convincingly good time as they danced to the song that was happening. Um, then the song ended. Then the, ne the next song happened and then a different actor attempted to get me to dance again to a different song. Um, I gave a similar answer. Um, and of course, uh, I do not cope with this <laughs> inside of me. I don't know how terrified I look on the outside. I will have more to say about that later, but I... As we've talked about recently and in the past, <laughs> um, I have so much, I've, I'll say it again, 
leave me in the dock. Let me just sit in the dock. Quack, quack. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to. And lo- that is that is not laziness. It is me not wanting to ruin your show. You know, it's like, I just don't want to fuck it. Um, and yeah, do not put it in my hands. Um, yeah, no, no. <laughs> um, there's that, you know, but it's, it's also the thing too. of like, I'm also like, this show is about two hours long. The, the first attempt to make me dance. It's like, look, <laughs> I'm not going to bring up the princess truffles conga line again, but I guess I just did. Um, but <laughs> fortunately I did not get roped into that. My God, it is one of the blessings that I've received in my life is not having that clown try to make me join a conga line. Uh, but the, 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 the type of dancing that they were even trying to like in like make me do, um, and not with any degree of force, they behaved as they should have. Um, their invitations were fine in terms of sternness <laughs> and warmth. Um, but it was the type of dancing where it's like, do you want to get up in front of this seating bank full of people and just kind of show them what it looks like when you dance at parties and concerts? Like, we will give you no choreography. Not that I would have wanted choreography, but I would, of course, prefer choreography and guidance and direction to get up and just dance like you love to dance in those types of settings. Like, you want me to just listen to this scary song that's happening and just let my body do the talking? No, there's no world where that happens. There's, I just, not without me, I don't know, spontaneously combusting, or I don't know, develop, I don't know. Something would happen. There's no world where that happens. I'm the person, and there are more of us out there, I'm sure. There are people, like, I, like, when you go to a concert, and like, imagine like a big concert. Like, imagine we're at the, like the Eras tour. You know, we're seeing Taylor Swift together, you and me. And we're up sitting in like, up where it gets all seaty. Like we're sitting down. Like we're sitting and watching Taylor Swift singing, you know, one of the many underwhelming songs from Evermore. And then Taylor's like, okay, now everyone get out of your seats. It's like, shut up, Taylor Swift. I don't want to. Like, I, there's nothing that I will do while standing that you as Taylor Swift will prefer. I, there's no way that I enjoy it more than, like, I want to forget that I'm inside of a body when I'm experiencing, honestly, most things, but especially things where we're like sitting in the dark, pointing our attention at you. I don't want to be reminded that I'm like, oh, my tallness is difficult to have people behind me see stuff. I don't want to have to think about where my arms are. Like, I just, (laughs) just let me be like a, like a, like a, like a floating head in the distance. (laughs) I just, don't, (laughs) Taylor Swift, let me sit in the dark. I will not enjoy the concert more because I'm standing up and it's like, it's not as if I was sitting there being like, oh, I just wish I could let loose. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not a feel. There is no world where I am at a concert. I don't know why I'm talking about concerts so distinctly, but I am. <laughs> Get on this toboggan with me. Me at any concert, me standing up does not increase my chance of enjoying it. There is nothing of, nothing about me standing will make me a better audience member and it will not make me more able to enjoy what is going on. And that's just a thing that I'll say. Um, but, but to bring it back to dying on this adventure. Um, yeah, no. So I'm glad that they didn't make me do anything um, at this point. Um, but yeah, at this point, maybe like a third of the way through the show, I've turned down the opportunity to dance in front of a bunch of strangers freestyle twice. Uh, so I'm pretty deep into anxiety (laughs) and I refuse to let this like one-on-one time with you, sweet listener, turn into any type of therapy. But it was like, from that point when it began, that anxiety never, ever left my body at all. And I feel like it's still inside of me. I feel like it's still a thing. I told you there was stuff that we were going to have to work through in real time. It's still going on and it gets worse. Um, in terms of my experience, that's not me talking about the show. That's talking about me (laughs) inside of me. This was just the beginning of the wild ride of how it felt. Because, you know, like, <laughs> I hope I don't, like, accidentally, I don't know, through you being, like, you know, having empathy. I don't want you to start feeling anxious in any sort of way. But it was like, it was very much that thing of, like, <laughs> not to potentially needlessly describe anxiety. But it was like, you know, like, the, it feels like, like the deeper layers of your skin start baking inside of you. And, like, and, like, your lungs start constricting into, like, the shape that they make when you cry as a child. Like, that's... <laughs> That was like, and these words are only ready to go in my mouth because I had like an hour and a half to think about the experience. (laughs) Um, uh, and not to keep making this about me. It's just, (laughs) um, yeah, but it also too, tying back to that thing of like not wanting to be a reason that the show is less 
what the artists hope it to be because of my participation against my will as it was. Um, yeah, I don't know if I could show up, but then it was also this additional thing, like even that sense of like the, you know how part of anxiety is like pre-shame? Like it's that feeling that like, oh no, I'm about to do something that in the future I will also have to look back on and be like, oh, you piece of dumb shit, you know? It was at that pre-shame feeling, which was like compounded by the fact that there was like this recurring thing throughout the show where one of the actors seemed disappointed that we were not as responsive and dancey a crowd as yesterday's audience had been, which could have been like a total fabrication. That could have just been like a lie. Like I, who knows how much of this was like orchestrated by the artists. Um, they all seem very, like, very experienced and very like doubtlessly, like they're, they're very talented people. So for all I know, that was like built into the dramaturgy of like, let's add some shame to the mix. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, the knowledge that we were also disappointing at least one of them did not make me feel like I was better at being in this audience than otherwise I would have. Uh, I, I for sure will have less to say about the text than I would if I got to like sit down and read what the script was. Um, partly because, and this again is my shortcoming, all this anxiety stuff happening inside of me and uh, all of this stuff going on and even like the performance style, it just wasn't... It was not the right context for my mind to take much in and to absorb very much. Like it was a lot like, and I've told this story before, but it was like when I went to see Baal at the Malt House and they seated me by myself because my seat didn't exist. So they sat me in the front row completely bathed in stage lighting. So I spent the entire show just being super conscious of <laughs> what my body was doing and how my face was looking while I was watching this like this version of Brecht that was full of like nudity and beige walls. Like it, I, I, I remember nothing from that show. I remember walking into the foyer afterwards and being like, I there was a guitar. I know there was a guitar. Um, and at one point it was raining. <laughs> it, was, it was similar to that experience in terms of like... <laughs> It was just like, you know, those sense when you're in fight or flight, <laughs> it's not, you're not in like the right state to be like doing text analysis, like let alone <laughs> having that text make it anywhere deeper than your brain to get anywhere emotional, you know? So it was like, uh, yeah. So if, if you're wanting me to like choose my favorite passages, I don't have them. <laughs> they, they just didn't make it past like the, my pinner, you know, which, which is the term for the. The, the circular outer part of your ear that's in charge of catching the sound. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but of course, yeah, I'll try to relay structure. Like it's, it's like in between the songs, which are kind of like the moments of staticness, um, with of course the dance and whatnot incorporated, like, and during those times, there's a lot of encouragement for people to get involved and engaged um, through dance, through just like being loud. Like it, it's very much, it feels like the whole time that they're trying to incite you to do stuff. Uh, it seems like there was, there was a lot of like hunger coming from the stage for for us to reach out and share our energy with them as they were to us. Um, uh, but yeah, that was part of it. And then beyond that, it was like, it was, it was, it was kind of like a, a series of things that have been put next to each other in terms of like these scenes, these chunks of text, which again, I could not get much into me. Like it was like, I was, I don't know, cupping my hands, but... I don't know. It's like all of my fingers were just broken or something. Like I just couldn't, <laughs> because of my mental state, I just couldn't scoop enough into my mouth to, to, to fill it up. Uh, but for the most part, uh, the, the way that the text felt and sounded was scrapbooky in its nature. And there, there weren't really any moments of naturalism at all uh, outside of what felt like organic onstage conversation between them when they were trying to sort out tech situations or to cue each other or to let each other what, like know what was going to happen next um, or direct address to the audience. Beyond that, like the, the stylized text seemed, yeah, it seemed as if it had been cobbled together throughout the development period and was kind of just like uh, moments of text that had been captured through the refraction of the original text through some sort of prism onto the paper that they were reading from. You know, that that's sort of like as best as I can describe it. Um, but again, like that the audio quality and the amplification of their voices through microphones for the most part, um, on top of my, you know, uh, the, the microwave of my anxiety attack. Um, yeah, I can't tell you much more about it, but um, but that that's the, the sense I got. Uh, Tobias Madison Galvin, one of the performers, there was a part that he did solo. Uh, and he, he himself was like the, the, the most kind of like striking looking and had, I'd say the most sort of like, <laughs> just sort of like directly electric fury to his energy. 
Um, and he had a solo moment uh, that that was partly punctuated by him taking the like the, the the top off like a Windex spray bottle and then drinking all of the Windex inside. Um, and which was I hope it was some sort of like prop magic. Like I don't know what ended up being inside of his body. Uh, but it, what it did mean, and again, not to keep making it about me, but what it did mean was that just because of that experience of watching him do that it meant that I was also now completely nauseated for the rest of the thing <laughs> so so now I, I, I don't know I've got <laughs> anxiety and nausea just like filling my body up which um is again it, it is partly I guess me defensively saying reasons as to why I didn't get more of the words in this piece inside of me or get to feel many emotions beyond uh the two I just listed <laughs> Um, but also, like, that was also, like, kind of something that was fun to reflect upon just in terms of, I, I guess, my, like, my, <laughs> my stomach is capable of having, like, mirror neurons or something, I suppose. Like, I, I, I don't think I've had that experience before of, like, seeing someone do something that's gonna really upset their stomach and maybe be really bad for them, and then me experience that feeling inside of me, too. Again, I don't know how many of these, like, stage mechanics were deliberate choices by the artists. If that's what they wanted me to be feeling, masterfully done. Even if they didn't want me to be feeling that, I'm grateful. Again, let the, all of this be couched in the fact of, like, and this is what I really had to, like, I don't know. I felt in the theater and during my walk home was, like, of course, I'm, like, I'm grateful for every sensation that I get to have, um... And the ones that I get to have because of theatre, um, to me at least, are even better because they were given to me by people, um, and I don't know, and and by people with a with a I don't know a unique relationship with the human experience because they're making theatre. So uh, that's that. That's that on Windex. <laughs> Otherwise, because like, not that you need like a comparable experience. The last time that I was like nauseated by anything in terms of like media and so forth was like when I was watching Saw Ten. Um, and don't, don't let me spoil Saw 10 for you. I'm sure you're as avid a fan of the franchise as I am. Uh, but there's a scene, and skip forward maybe like 35 seconds if you don't want to hear me describe a Saw trap to you. But the I'd, I'd say one of the moments that, have, that made me the closest to having to turn off a film because of the nausea that it incited inside of me was this guy who had to like <laughs> use like tweezers to like pick out parts of his brain and put them on a scale and to give enough of his brain gunk to the scale to not be murdered. Um, that was really confronting. Uh, let's talk about something else. Uh, the, the, like the style of the work. Um, I, with there even being like the pre-show, them kind of roaming around and, and the style with, with which they delivered the bulk of the show. Um, it was, it was an interesting chance to get to kind of like think about in a way that like, not to keep referencing things from the past that we've talked about, but <laughs> do you remember when me and beautiful British Johnny went to see that horoscope themed circus and Alfie Delia was, um, one of the dancers who's like dance face, uh, Johnny and I were super intrigued and engaged by, and then I was sort of like forced to reckon with and try to analyze and try to put into words what that face is. Um, it, and it ended up being something similar to the idea of like the devil just told you you can never dance again and so you dance one last time and that's the face that you make and that's like quintessential like sexy dance face. Um, with this, it was like it was a chance to kind of like analyze what the face of like postmodern like grungy punk theater is. Um, and oh, what I sort of what I sort of came to, and again, this isn't meant to be a judgment. Like it's it's a super valid style of like. Um, you know, stage presence, but it's almost like the faces of people who are really convinced of their courageousness in performance is, I guess, my, my description at this time, um, which again, is not negative. It's just a, it's just a thing. It's the same thing as like, I don't know, the same thing as like dance ensemble face, I guess. It's the same thing as like the faces you pull when you're, I don't know, rehearsing ballet, maybe. Um, they're all just like faces that we, I, I don't know, there's a, I don't know, there's a collection of faces that we have to choose from. Um, and it's a long, almost endless list, but there are some, you know, there are some stock ones. And one of them, to me at least, is, you know, punky postmodern face. Um, and I got to have a chance to sort of like stare at a few of them for a while. Um, 
so cut back to me in this theater. I'm so so I'm asked to be involved again for a third time. Uh, specifically, me, not just me as part of the throng, but me as an individual uh, who's ready to buckle at a moment's notice. <laughs> uh, was asked to come up and be the like one of the ends of like you know when like. Like school students make oceans out of fabric for like a like a show where everyone's playing a fish. Uh, you do that wavy thing with the fabric. So there was an actor on one end and there was a Jake on the other end. Uh, and so I was standing there doing that with with the actors. There was like a number that cycled through on the other end of the fabric, but I was the one constant of the sea. Uh, and uh, I don't I don't know how much of me and I don't know how much of them choosing me was as some sort of like. Uh, like no I'm not gonna think that my fear was that obvious that they wanted to like calm me down I refuse to believe that because that's embarrassing um but the task I ended up with this one of the fabric ocean was manageable I could do it there was direction there was instruction there was like very limited responsibility um and the instructions were clear uh also <laughs> throughout the experience it was so it was a, a lot of just me having to mirror the thing that the actor was doing on the other end of the fabric uh which not to brag but i can do that uh but it also meant too that i got to have like <laughs> like two separate god this really makes me sound pathetic and i i i'm glad it's just the two of us sharing this story um, but it meant that I got to have, like, two, like, reassuring, sweet, sort of, like, eye moments uh, with two of the actors that were on the other end of the fabric at different times. Like, I felt like I had to reassure them with my stupid face uh, that I was fine and that everything was okay. And I, I don't <laughs> And that all the fear that they'd seen in my face up until now throughout the performance is not a thing that they should be concerned about. Um, and it seemed like they, too, were, like, offering me, like... <laughs> I don't know. This I could be projecting all of this onto them, but they seemed to be giving me facial expressions of people that were like glad that I seemed fine. <laughs> um, and uh, again, I'm glad it's just the two of us here, sweet listener, because this is all really embarrassing. But I don't know. We're here to talk about our theater experiences, and this is the one that I had, um, and it was like a rattling one, the whole thing. Um, but I, but I, it, what it felt like. And what it felt like was like, I, I, I don't remember heaps of my childhood for whatever reason. Um, but it's been a long time since I've thought about kindergarten at all, but this experience of being like soothed by these like performers, like from like, ugh, was it reminded me of when we were like in like grade three kindergarten and we were doing like a Christmas performance and because of like my anxiety and stage fright, I was tasked with doing nothing more than just sitting next to Santa throughout it and banging rhythm sticks while everyone else had like named characters and like plots to perform and dances to do. And I remember I was just so grateful that they recognized my fear and they gave me something that meant I could participate with very little chance of being humiliated. <laughs> um, and this felt like that while I was like waving this fabric and making eye contact with these like <laughs> postmodern funky people. <laughs> I was I was taken back <laughs> to that sweet Christmas moment where <laughs> my limitations were acknowledged, but I was still included and soothed by comforting eye contact and a soft onstage smile. I um, but yeah, I. <laughs> I I won't relay any more of the show to you in case you want to go and experience it for yourself. Um, uh, it was, it was part of the experience was wanting to be the right person for the show. Like I, there were, there were people there that got up. There was like a man in a fedora that was up dancing to like the final numbers. The guy sitting behind me was really keen to get involved with all of like the sing-along components and was, and it was, yeah, like thrashing in his seat. And like, this show is for people. It was one of those times where it's like, I wish I could have been there without me having to be there. Uh, because there was, like, there was so much... Uh, like like competency and vision and intensity to what these artists were doing, uh, and yeah, and I, I don't know, I, maybe I wish you were even like in a different space that was like maybe I wanted their show to be like above like up above me on a stage and I could be like like lost in a sea of people. Um, maybe yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, I I don't think the right way for me to see this show was to be. <laughs> to be feeling mo like largely alone <laughs> in the front row um, and terrified the entire time. Um, but yeah, yeah, there was like, 
a bunch of stuff that was really impressive about this work. And that isn't me just trying to like be vaguely complimentary. Um, I love things that are like, of course, odd, unique and intense. And like, and the furiousness of this work was kind of bewildering in the way of like, you've taken Peter Pan and you found a way to be mad about it. (laughs) It was... It was a lot. It made me feel a lot. It made me feel, as I've described to you, maybe too vividly, uh, made me feel a bunch of things. And as I said, I'm grateful for anything I get to feel. And I got to feel it in the theater. Um, I wouldn't go through that emotional experience on purpose again. Um, But I'm keen to see what these people get up to next. Because I think just intensity is just a hard thing to find. Especially intensity in that direction of a work that feels dangerous and and kind of like wild and a bit reckless. Um, because yeah, because it had jagged edges and it had like slack moments and it had warbly vocals and failing microphones and like unflattering yellow lighting sometimes. Um, yeah, it required you to keep adjusting the way that you were trying to cram it into your mouth. Um, and I think I'd, I'd rather see something violent and odd and peculiar that makes me really uncomfortable than, I don't know, like a, a drama that takes place mostly around a rich family's dining table. I, and I don't know, the twist is that the sibling that they thought moved away is actually buried in the yard. I, I've sort of come around to that idea now. I don't, um... You know, if I had to choose between the two, you know, if I <laughs> had two doors to walk through and there was a seat for me in an audience bank of either one, yeah, I'll, I'll go to the scary one <laughs> most days. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry that the, the talking about this show was so me-centric. It's just, um, I don't know. I wanted to be honest with you and, and I don't know, as usual, kind of just like, yeah, relay the 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 experience to you and that's what it was um and again grateful for it uh i sorry as i said i i literally just saw this show and talking to you has helped me uh but i think i I think even for the sake of like we're about to talk about alta um you and me and so uh, i'm gonna go and like either i'm gonna go like cook something or um or like i don't know do something to to break up the the feeling. I, I don't want this to like bleed over into discussing Alter, which is a whole different beast. Um, so I don't know. I'll, I'll also, for your sake, um, either you pause and go and do something else, or I'll, I'll find something to slot in here other than just the the, the usual transition music um, to, to to get us in a headspace that's a bit more like cleansed of this. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll work out what to do. Um, I'm sure it will be something that won't surprise you too hard. So yeah, whatever it is, it'll go right here. Shake your body, baby, do that conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Come on, shake your body, baby, do that conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Hey, hi. Thanks for sticking around. We're back. Let's talk about altar. So I went to the Abbotsford Convent. Uh, to see Alter by M. Tambry. Full disclosure, um, M. Tambry and I have worked together. They, um, they assistant directed a play of mine a few years ago. And we've just, yeah, we've just been like palsy and, you know, in each other's lives for a few years. So yeah, wonderful to see them, you know, taking flight, especially lately and, and producing cool work. And, uh, also Catherine Yates and I have, have a, that's the director. We have like a student theater university connection and also Eddie Patterson, one of the actors and I used to work at the same theaters. So, so, you know, it's, it's a real family affair. That's, that's not the case. That's very much <laughs> embellishing and overstating, but yeah, these, these people are not strangers to me. Um, but I'll be just as harsh as ever. So don't you worry. <laughs> so yeah, went alone to the Abbotsford convent, a place that I've been, uh, 
a bunch lately um, and have loved every visit thus far. Uh, and it was in, like I think it's called like the Rosina Courtyard. So it was like an outdoor space. Uh, and the space was really beautiful. It was done up to look like, there's photos of it on our Instagram, like the Praise Dionysus Instagram. It's, it's <laughs> yeah, it was like set up to look like a neat little outdoor wedding. Uh, and it was sort of like enclosed by a rectangle of tall buildings around it. Um, to our right, like facing where the marriage would occur, to our right, uh, there was a hall with an entranceway to it, which is relevant just because of the way that it's used. Um, the hall to our right is where the reception is occurring in the world of the play. Uh, but I'll get to that in a bit. But um, let's let's hit you with the plot. Okay, so <laughs> um, Avi Corva is playing Sutton and she's getting married. And we, the, the marriage, what we come to quickly learn, the marriage has just occurred. She is now married. She's wearing this like really beautiful wedding dress. Like, yeah, I'm not like a fashion person. And I know that you're here for my hot fashion takes and tips. Uh, but it did that. <laughs> this is me discussing fashion and clothing and the details of. It did that like really pretty thing that I really like. Uh, and may, I, I don't know if this is an in thing to do. But like the, the long veil that she was wearing had like pearls strewn throughout it. I don't know. It just makes me feel like maybe like sea creatures helped dress her or something. I just think pearls are sweet at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I, something that occurred to me, I don't know. I think that got lodged in my mind during the first five minutes of this show was thinking about Avi and her, you know, her even just like dressing herself for the role. Like, I wonder if it's like, I don't know. I, I don't know what it's like to be a bride getting married. I don't know what it's like to grow up wanting to be a bride. Um, and that's not me assuming that AV does want those things or ever did. But I wonder if there is anything in the experience of like putting on such a loaded garment as that. Um, pretendly or not, you know, um, for a person stepping into a role on such a, a hefty day. Honestly, something too that... <laughs> let's just get lost in a second in nonsense. Um, something too that it made me think about, like this setting of... Uh, like a post-wedding during the reception time period. I don't know. It made me think about A Very Naughty Christmas. <laughs> that, that show that I saw a couple of weeks ago when we talked about. And the, the I don't know, everything that comes with such like a recognizable social phenomenon. And uh, the, I don't know, like a, such a loaded community experience. Like even outside of like the emotions that we necessarily bring in terms of like weddings are about love. So it makes me think about love. Even outside of that, like all the stuff that we bring in terms of even just like the reverence, like it was even like I was noticing that the way that it felt to be in a space that was still, even though the wedding was over and the reception was raging right next to us, like it, it still had that air of like whether or not it was the color scheme or the distance between the chairs we were sitting in pointed at this like marital archway thing. Like I certainly felt that the weight of the sanctity of marriage <laughs> affect the way that my like face and body and... I don't know, my outer emotions experienced the space. I don't know. I just felt myself <laughs> forcing myself to kind of like operate more tranquilly and respectfully than I than I typically would. Um, it didn't seem like a thing that was encumbering a lot of other people. That isn't me saying that people were like a real rapscallions, but it just seemed like, I don't know, people were very happy to chortle at this show. Uh, whereas I felt much more like corseted by like a Catholic need to be quiet and respectful, I guess. I don't know. So yeah, I don't know. I guess weddings are like Christmas in, in when, that, that, that's the parallel that my mind drew. Uh, anyway, yes. And also Eddie Patterson is there. Eddie is playing Dan. And uh, so the, the whole show is kind of, it's, it's about these two people reuniting after a decade apart and they have a past. <laughs> Uh, and it takes place in, in real time, apart from like a, like a small moment of sort of poetry at the beginning. Um, I don't know, I don't know if M would call it poetry, what happened at the beginning, but even it was like, it was like sort of like two pocket-sized monologues that are kind of the beginnings of us getting to hear the voices of these two characters we're going to like quite intimately get to know. Uh, but then beyond that, it happens completely in real time with the, with the... The, the reception of the wedding raging on beside us in the hall through this really clever use of sound. Like you really come to sort of believe that there's this whole world happening just behind the wall beside us. Um, and I'll say it now so I don't don't forget to say it later, but now, I don't know. And may, if you feel like thinking about this while I describe the rest of what the plot is, feel free to. <laughs> I'm not in charge of your thoughts. Uh, but something about the, the play that unfolds and it's these two people having this long conversation it's just the two of them talking to each other for the length of this entire play in real time at this reception. And it was maybe like halfway through it where I started having this sense that I quite liked. This sense of like, 
We're at this woman's wedding, essentially. We're at her wedding. We're at her wedding reception. And she's managed to steal away for, you know, upwards of an hour to talk to this person, unbothered by the people that are there for her. And and that's not me trying to point out a plot hole. What that I, what I liked about that fact was it, 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 I don't know, it infused it with this sense of this conversation being almost... Not not an imagination, like not a not a contrivance, not like a wish or something, but it, it made it feel like because the show itself was so much part of what was like upsetting and lovely about it was it was kind of one of these conversations that you hope you get to have with particular people or even like even if those people don't exist for you yet. It's like the type of conversation that is so like honest and so like solely necessary soul with a u i don't know if that's anything um but i don't know what i'll I'll get more into what the conversation is and how it feels and what it does um in a second but somehow because this impossible scenario occurs where on this wonderful day these two people get to speak to each other for such an extended period of time um and the ending is what it is somehow the whole conversation kind of felt like a real, I don't know, like a spiritual wish fulfillment or something. Like it, it, it was so, such a crystallization of what these two people in their predicaments seemed to really want from each other, even if they weren't sure of it, that it felt almost like the whole exchange took place in a matter of seconds. Like it was the, the, the style of intimacy that came out of them and the honesty and the the, the, the the energy that exists between their bodies, the way that it was so present in the text and what unfolded, it felt as if the whole play could have happened in just the two of them locking eyes across a room or something, you know? It's, I don't know, the, really pathetically, and this is underselling the complexity of this show, but like, I hated La La Land, but you know that part towards the end of La La Land where like Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone see each other across the nightclub and they like share that like, eye contact moment and it's a very like you you understand the complexity of all of those things somehow it felt as if this play took place in those few seconds between two people um in a way was part of what made this show magical for me um a colder explanation of what this show is i'd say is uh, during and afterwards my immediate kind of reaction to analyzing what the text was functionally was kind of like two very compelling essays that defended <laughs> the choices and sacrifices that two people have made with their lives. You know, if it's, I don't know, like if you if you sat down and you wrote why you are the way you are, how you got here and why you will continue to be this way, and you needed to, it to be like 3,000 words long, and then you paired it up with somebody who your choices have affected in some type of way, and then, I don't know, you turned those essays into Digimon and then made them fight each other, that's kind of what this play kind of was. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I hope that didn't feel reductive. Um, so it's been a decade since Sutton and Dan have seen each other. They were high school, like very close high school friends. And then something murky happened. And then Sutton, for whatever reason, invited Dan to her wedding, seemingly not really expecting Dan to turn up at all. But then of course Dan does. And then Eddie Patterson playing Dan, um, really enters the scene... And spends a lot of the show with this real bombast and real, from the get-go, like some real on-the-surface frustration. And they've been drinking, um, so like alcohol's fueling it a little bit, and they're smoking because they're drinking. Um, but but yeah, it really gets kind of like the, the avalanche going with just like presenting this... Like, it doesn't take us long to get to the point where Dan is at this place of like <laughs> outward frustration... Um, which, which, I don't know, is just a, a bold way to begin a character journey throughout a play. Uh, Dan is a trans mask individual, and the bulk of that transition occurred while the two characters were apart from each other, so that is part of what is being digested in front of us, is Sutton's experience of really, like, meeting Dan as... What the play's kind of about, like, the, 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 the truer... I guess the truest that there's been version of Dan. Uh, but but there's plenty of other stuff going on too in terms of there's even like the fact of like, it's important to know that Sutton has become a science teacher and Dan is a writer who writes largely about the trans experience and young trans people um, 
and there's a lot of conversation swirling around topics of like science versus religion uh, for a little bit as well. Like it's it's a real character study of these two people and and a dissection of the choices they've made and us being and our lives being kind of like a sum of the sacrifices we're willing to make. Like some of there were some really stunning moments of writing, and one of them was it's not even like a sentence. One of just the, the, there were just so many moments of like especially towards the end of the play where it's like. And it's a credit to Avi's performance of being like, she, her character presents as someone that, I don't know, I guess by, maybe by like queer standards, very resentable. I don't know if that's a dumb thing to say in the way of like, you're like a beautiful woman getting into a heterosexual marriage, gunning for a lot of like conventional, almost old school goals and dreams and wanting picket fences and a lovely husband and a bunch of kids and to to i don't know make your parents proud and yet yet manages to so like gracefully and <laughs> i i don't know i understandably make a really good case for the sacrifices that she is willing to make and i don't know and i'd say one of the like the the theses of the work that I don't know, rang loudest to me. And I'm sure that it would be different for everyone in the audience because so much gets covered and so many hypotheses get sort of thrown out. Um, and I feel like it really depends on where you're at and what your current life concerns are, like which which bells getting rung vibrate with you hardest. Um, but, but the idea of our lives being the result of the sacrifices that we're willing to make um, was something that I thought, especially the words that Avi was saying and the way she delivered them, uh, really, really pointed to really, really strongly. Um, I definitely want to say that Eddie's like rigor and diction and I don't know, capacity to like take sentences and carve them into a really cool shape and jab real rigorously with them uh, was really fun to watch. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, handled, handled text really well um, and had a dynamism that really helped the, the 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 play feel like it was constantly moving with which with, with like a real time thing is such a thing you have to overcome or everyone's going to leave you know uh a sentence that comes up a couple of times that's initially backgrounded by conversations surrounding religion is this idea that if one person believes in something then it exists uh was just something that i found quite touching like it was a like after seeing the show like it was a surprisingly like emotional walk back to the tram for me. Like it was, it was like, I think part of it was like the, I didn't realize how much the being in a wedding environment, being in a Jesus-y environment had, I had, as I said earlier, had caused me to kind of like, I don't know, make my body more, I don't know, the type of aerodynamic it's required to be in a, in a setting like that. Um, but I think that somehow, increased the amount that it sort of like all hit me afterwards it was um yeah i don't know i don't know that that's that's all i can do to explain it so all i could do was like put on a nice folk song and just walk through the streets of abbotsford thinking about the things that this play made me feel and one of the things that kept like really weighing on me was that that thought about (laughs) if one person believes in something then it exists um, and the, the sentence itself, and I'm going to consciously try not to like, you know, over, like, I, I don't want to tell you too many things because so much of what makes this play so strong on your first viewing of it, um, is, is the, <laughs> the, the, the way that things are said. So I don't, I don't, I just don't want to like pop too many of those balloon surprises. Um, because, because it's, it's, it is essentially like one long conversation, you know, and it, a lot of what it is, is like, it's the strength of these two actors and the words they get to say, um, but yeah, but the, 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 the sentence itself comes back in the idea of like, uh, in like quite a devastating way. I, I'll not dwell on this because it's such a linguistic through line and such like it's the idea of what truth is and and who has to believe it for it to be true. Um, it's such a thing in this work and I hope you get a chance to see it because I think it's a really interesting piece. Um, and it might mean something to you, um, more than the average thing, depending on who you are and what you're going through. Um, but I just thought, especially like me being like me being an agender person, I, I don't know what the trans experience is like, but I do my best to try to like 
understand that experience and empathize as best I can with people that experience it, go through it, are that way, you know, all of those things. And I thought um, having at this point, like ingested a lot of like media and discourse and writings about the trans experience, um, the way that M writes about and the way that Eddie delivered a particular passage about like a, a part of the trans experience that I've um, not like, certainly not this specific experience of that experience in this piece, but one of, and again, I'll skirt around ruining any of it in terms of surprises for you. <laughs> um, and also like to do my best to not like shortchange M's work um, in the text, but the, like the early on experiences of like having this belief that you kind of like have this sneaking suspicion of who you are, but you feel as if no one else can see it because it's so especially shrouded in like gender expectation and appearances. Um, but there's, yeah, there's a real stunning passage where there's a description of that version of you that feels truer being uncovered, not just by you, but by someone that knows you so well, like well enough to find that part of you. Um, it was just so beautifully put, so beautifully performed. Um, and as it ties to ideas of truth, um, and that type of intimate truth, like that, that truth that only matters to you um, and to those with whomever you, you share those beliefs. And, and of course, as I'm sure you can already see, the way that those sorts of thoughts can tie to things like science and religion and love itself. Um, like, yeah, that's, that's just one case for, for this being, a, yeah, a well-written play. <laughs> oh, and to stop back at Eddie for just a second longer, um, I just thought... <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be different every night, but the the delivery of Eddie's line about how the, the with regarding the difficulties of living visibly as a trans person, um, and as the, the 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 what you see as the true version of yourself, um, particularly when that version of you is not one that a lot of people are ready to at face value kind of like accept warmly. Um, which is a, an experience that extends far beyond the trans experience. Um, but the delivery of the line of the fact that it doesn't get better, it just gets worth it, um, was was just like powerful and moving, I thought. Uh, something that I assume happened by chance. If they managed to orchestrate this, I we should give them a Tony or something. I <laughs> But there was a speech that A.V.'s character Sutton was giving about a study that occurred about how a large percentage of men don't marry the loves of their lives in like a self-reported study. And as she was making this proclamation about this study, like a, like a, like a flappering of bats came over from like behind the building <laughs> and just like, yeah, just like filled the sky for a second while this sort of like rather devastating statistic was being rattled off. Um, I don't know if it's obvious, but I don't know what the collective noun for bats is, but yeah, I'm reading Dracula at the moment. And so having these rather like, you know, devastating numbers being put forth while these Transylvanian villains were filling the air, uh, was, was a cool theater moment. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I just have like two more things left to say. I'll, and then I'll stop taking up your time. Um, but I thought something that was really... Yeah, these are just two thoughts that I had during my post-theater walk while I, you know, while, while Jesus sort of like washed off me in the, in the, in the air. Um, the first one being that this play, and it sort of goes back to that thing that I sort of like said at the start about this feeling a little bit like a, like a, like almost like a, like a fantasy exchange that in reality was a glance, but somehow had quite profound closure or something to it i don't know um but it the, the the style of language and the way that it functioned um it was it was sort of like that it was exciting to see because it was that like heightened level of impossible eloquence that kind of necessitates the existence of theater you know like these people talked the way they talked because this is a written play and we need to see stories told this way and that's why we have theater I don't think I needed to reiterate what I said in the first place, but now I've said it twice. <laughs> um, and then the second thought I had was about why... Remember, remember way back at the beginning of this episode where I told you that I went to Wheeler's birthday? 
And Wheeler said to me at his birthday that he just believes that birthdays are really tied to grief. And since he said that, that's just been like on my mind. And I don't know. And it made me think (laughs) that partially informed my experience of seeing Alter in the way of like, oh yeah, and weddings as well. Like weddings make me really sad. There's something super duper sad about weddings. Um, And I'm sure other people feel this way as well, but there's a real sense of tragedy to them. And... I guess because of the way that things got phrased and the subject matter and the things that got discussed, I'm sure had something to do with it. I'm sure like the folk song I was listening to also had something to say about it too. Um, but I was trying to work out what it is that makes weddings tragic and what makes marriage tragic. And I guess my, my, I don't know, what I came up with that night after seeing M. Tambry's play was the idea that getting married is kind of like positioning the sun in your solar system. I think. And that's great because, <laughs> you know, it gives you the center around which everything's going to revolve. But the moment that you place that sun, it means that you've determined the orbits of everything around it. Like, that's where those planets are going to be. And you've determined uh, where they go. You've determined what the atmosphere is constructed of. You've determined how survivable life is on those planets. Like it, it puts everything into a fixed relative position. Um, and somehow that, for whatever reason, really devastates me. And maybe that's a thing that will shift with my romantic optimism or something. Um, or maybe it'll just change when I, you know, see another play <laughs> set at a wedding or something. Um, but some, and maybe, maybe it's tied to like the necessary component that like marriage is forever, which maybe it needs to be in terms of analyzing it as a, as an emotional phenomenon, maybe, but maybe that's stodgy and traditional. I don't know, but I, yeah, somehow getting married feels like, yeah, positioning a son, I think, um, I don't know, yeah. Somehow marriage feels like hundreds of funerals. <laughs> like not just for people, but for like hopes and possibilities. Um but as as the play contends, like it's your life is sacrifices. Um yeah, you don't get to have one without them, so I don't know. They're my thoughts at the moment. I <laughs> I don't know. Ah, I have kept you long enough. <laughs> uh, thank you for, for being here with me for this. Um, yeah, really, really sweet and generous of you. I hope you're having a wonderful day, whatever you're doing. Um, I hope you're like happy and warm. Uh, and anyway, I may already disagree with everything I just said. And friends, don't let friends become theatre critics. I hope your midsummer's going well. If it is indeed in the mid of that summer for you. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, this has been another episode of the Midsummery. <laughs> and I'll speak to you with James um, when next we speak, I guess. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll go. <laughs>